Last week, I had breakfast with my 18-year-old friend, Lane Osborne. And sitting at breakfast, he told me the most amazing story, and I wanted to share that with you. Hello, everybody. It's Steve, and I want to introduce you to my buddy here, Lane Osborne. And Lane and I were spending some time together last week, and he told me a great story how he came to Christ. So would you just share that with us? I sure can. So starting in fifth grade is where my story begins. That is when my grandfather unexpectedly passed away. And in this time, that was the first death I'd ever encountered. And that's when I first started to question life after death and my own faith and what it meant to be a Christian and really who I was and my purpose and my identity. And it wasn't until two years later that I got my answer to that. I went on a fall retreat with COS actually, with the youth group. And I actually didn't want to go at first, but the hand of the Lord was upon me and he kind of pushed me to go. And so I went and it wasn't until the second day, it was free time and everyone was out playing games. And again, something pushed me to go to the cabin and while everyone else was gone. And so I went to the cabin and I saw a boy there and he was hunched over his Bible, reading it and praying. And I just thought that was strange. And so I went to the bathroom just pondering what I saw. And I came back out of the bathroom and he was still there. And I was about to leave and then he called me over to his bed. And it was there that we began to talk and he asked me if he could ask me a few questions about my faith. And so at that point, I was reawoken to those questions that I had when my grandfather died and that I had carried with me since then. And he asked me two questions. He said, first, if I was to die today, where do I think I would go, heaven or hell? And I just sat there for a minute thinking, where would I go? I knew my grandfather was up in heaven, but I myself never really thought of where I would go. I questioned, what have I done that would make me able to go to heaven? You know, who am I to do that? And so I just thought for a minute and I said, I don't know to his answer. But in reality, I did know the answer was I would go to hell because if I wasn't 100% sure I'd go to heaven, I knew there was only one more option. And then he asked me if I was standing in front of God and he asked me, why should I let you into heaven? what I would say to that. And like I said, who am I that I should go to heaven? I didn't think anything I had done in my life was worthy of going to heaven. And so again, my answer was, I don't know, to the second question. And from there, he went on to share the gospel with me, which I had grown up in the church, so I had knew the gospel. But in that moment, something clicked and I put myself into the story and applied the cross to my own life. And he shared Romans 10:9 with me. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and declare with your mouth the saying, you will be saved. And so he prayed the sinner's prayer with me. And then he showed me that verse in the Bible. And then he asked me again those two questions. He said, if you were to die today, knowing now what you know, would you go to heaven or hell? 
and that was the first time with 100% confidence I could say I knew I was going to heaven. And then he said if I was standing in front of God and he asked me why, what I would say. And I said, I would say I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know I'm a sinner and I made a lot of mistakes in my life and I will never be perfect, but I accept the gift of Jesus' blood and that he died on the cross for my sins. And knowing that and accepting that free gift, I know I am able to go to heaven. And so I remember after that, when I was saved, I walked outside and the world just looked different to me. I remember the grass looked so vibrant and the sky was so clear. And I remember walking down those stairs, finally knowing who I was and I knew my purpose. And that was that I was a son of God. And it was a year later that I decided to get baptized. And at my baptism, after I was baptized, I walked into the bathroom to get changed for my wet clothes. And it was there that I heard the voice of the Lord for the first time. And, you know, being pretty young, I, I have heard people say they've heard God speak to them before, and I never knew what that looked like or heard like, because obviously it's not a, a voice like I'm talking to you, but the best way I can describe it was a voice from my heart, speaking from my heart. And he said three words to me, and that was it. He said, live for me, Lane, live for me. And it took me a while to really understand, one, that that was from God, and two, what that meant, especially in my life. How do you live for somebody? And I later came to connect it to mean that I was to be a servant of God. So now, not only am I a son of God, but out of the gratitude of my heart, I am dedicating my life to God to serve Him. Wow, that's incredible. Who was that young man that shared the gospel with you? That young man was Joshua Combs. Wow. Now you see why I wanted my buddy Lane to share his story. Good job. I'm so proud of these young men. I'm so proud of Lane. And you heard the testimony. I came to Christ. And you heard the testimony that I heard the voice of the Lord. We should all look back and go, I know the voice of the Lord because he speaks right here. And I'm proud of Joshua Combs for taking the courage to share the gospel. And he told me just a while ago, I was so nervous. Did you know he was nervous? <clears throat> and he said, uh, I was glad the Lord gave me grace. Well, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that people all over the world are receiving Christ as Savior and choosing to live for him. Now help us to grow. And be the men and women you want us to be in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Well, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Hold your Bible up. You got your Bible with you? Let's see it. Got your Bible? Got your Bible? Excellent. Uh, last week we talked about 
how the scripture encourages women to love and respect and support their husbands. And this week we get to beat up, I mean, we get to encourage the men, which is pretty, pretty uh, wonderful. And uh, before we read the passage, let me mention a couple of things. One, your pastor would just be thrilled if all of us learned to get more confident in sharing the gospel. It is the gospel that changes people's lives. And only 5% of American Christians have ever led anybody to Jesus. You don't want to go through life and not lead people to Christ in college, in your neighborhood, people you went to high school with. Even your own family when they get in a tough situation. So we, we have a wonderful opportunity we've done for decades. And that is we use something called evangelism explosion. We train people over 12 weeks to learn to share the gospel. We meet at six and get done about nine or nine fifteen. There's a meal costs $25 for material. We would love to have you learn to do this. Because uh, until you have some way to talk systematically with people, it's kind of hard to have confidence. We start September 1st. It's open to anyone. You can register online or we'll have tables out in the foyer the next couple of weeks. And when I had this training 40 years ago, it made me a consistent soul winner. And so I would urge you to learn to share the gospel. Now, I want to show you something. We, we may have some art lovers in the room. Does anybody recognize this piece? Does anybody recognize the name of the piece? It's called Salvatore de Munde. Ring any bells? Anybody? Okay. This was by Leonardo da Vinci. Painted around the year 1500. And the title, Salvatore de Munde, means the savior of the world. It is a classic. It had been missing for a long time, for centuries. Two art dealers, Robert Simon and Alex Parrish, bought a cheap copy of this. In 2005, and the cheap copy cost them $10,000. Twelve years later, they discovered that the so-called lost da Vinci was in their very hands. And they sold it for not much, just a little bit of profit, $450 $450 million, one piece of artwork to one collector. It shows us that we should go to every yard sale in our neighborhood. Don't miss a single yard sale. Would you say the value of this work of art appreciated or depreciated? Would you say it appreciated? I would say so. Now, we're going to read through the scriptures. The scriptures are the standard. What God wants a husband to do 
to love his wife. Now, if you're not going to do these, I suggest you stay single. Because it may not be a fun ride if you don't obey the Lord. Obey the Lord is always the best option. And this is what every single wife needs from her husband. Now, I, I will say, before we look at the passage, this is not easy. What we talked about last week was not easy. This is, you're not going to learn this overnight. You're going to have some wins. You're going to have some failures. And I will say that every single wife is a little different. Would you agree with me? I don't know who put that picture in. Some wives are very different. Now, a uh, couple other little points. Gentlemen, if you obey this scripture, even partially, you're going to have a meaningful relationship. If you obey this scripture with your heart, you will have an effective tool to change your marriage and your family potentially for generations. And there's not many people teaching a man how to do this because most of us have not had good role models. This is not my plan. This is Jesus's plan. So you got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter five, starting at verse number 25. You got it? You ready? Husbands, gentlemen, say it please. Husbands, love your wives. One more time. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that... What's the reason? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife is smart enough to understand he's actually loving himself. By loving his wife. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but instead does two things that Jesus does for his people. He nourishes her and cherishes her. Just as Christ does, does the church because why? We're members of his body. We're his family. This is how he operates. Therefore, a man must Leave his father and mother and cling or hold fast to his wife and the two become what? One flesh. And this is one of the most profound mysteries. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Therefore, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And see to it that the wife gives the man the number one thing he needs to be respected, to be encouraged. Thus says the Lord. Now, I pulled out 10 things and let's go through these. Please take notes. I believe it'll be an encouragement. Number one, the scripture says to us fellas, love your wives. The word love is used six times 
It's the law of repetition. When you see something repeated, you know this is very, very important. Now, the problem with this deal of loving our wives, most men have never been loved unconditionally by anybody. We live in a world where love is conditional. You get good grades, we'll love you. You perform well, we'll love you. But that's not the way Christ loves the church. Christ loves the church just because it's his bride. And until you learn to love people just because they're worthy of love, then we're not loving as Christ loves the church. That is the command. Now, another thing that us men struggle with, if you've never seen it, it's hard to give it. Here's the good news. This unconditional love is modeled by Christ. And the good news is the Holy Spirit can teach any husband to love his wife. Any husband. Because we've already been studying this. The Holy Spirit is the helper. He helps us. He's the teacher. He leads us into all truth. He teaches us all things. So the Holy Spirit will be your mentor, gentlemen, and how to treat, talk with, and how to love your wife. Here's another way we all love, learn to love. We learn to love by simply giving love. If you've never been loved, here's what you do. And you want to be loved? Give love away every day to somebody. Simple acts of kindness. I try every day to help somebody and show kindness. If I can check that box, it's been a great day. And by being thoughtful, you think more about your spouse than you think about yourself. And then by serving others. If you want to be great in this world, Jesus said, be the servant of all. And if you have a man and wife that are working hard to serve each other, you have a great marriage. If you have one giver and one taker, it's hard. And we can't fix the other one, but we can always do what the Lord wants us to do. How about using uplifting words? We talked last week about never using the three C's in our marriage, never criticizing, never condemning, and stopping your complaining. Well, Steve, what will I do if I don't criticize, complain, or condemn my spouse? Well, you'll have a better home. That's what you'll have. And if you need to address something, correct something, you sit down and you talk about it. You sit down and talk about it. And then by forgiving people. We all get hurt in our families. Our kids hurt us. We hurt our kids. We've had... Our parents or in-laws that have hurt us, but the only way to get free is we forgive everybody automatically. We just forgive people. We just forgive people and we let it go. C. If you want to learn to love your wife, this is a secret to her heart. You learn to talk to her. And you learn to listen to her. And being completely transparent, 
The first half of our marriage, I was horrible at this. I stunk at this. And frankly, I think all of us guys are pretty horrible at this. We just don't do good because we just don't think like our wives. And so how this played out in my marriage was I've always been busy. I've always worked hard. I've always packed my days, always helping people. And then sometimes my wife, I'd get into bed at 1130 or maybe even midnight, and my little wife would want to talk. And it wasn't talk about pleasant stuff. It was talk about hard things that we had been struggling with and got no movement on. And she would open up that can of worms at 11.30, and we'd be in bed with the lights off. And I'd go, honey, we just can't talk about this now. I'm getting up at 4.30. I've been in this all day long. I got to shut my busy mind down. If we open this, you know, we won't finish it at sunrise. And then she nailed me. She'd say, maybe you see this one coming. You never have time to talk to me. And she was right. I got time to help other people, but I'm too busy and too tired to help my partner. And it's taken me a long time to kind of learn to fix this. We could spend all day just talking about my weaknesses. Now, here's something else that's important, gentlemen, and we don't see this. We don't understand this. This is completely against our flesh and the way we are wired. Our wives want us to share with them what's going on in our lives. Go ahead and elbow your husband if he's nearby. Just go. Well, we don't want to talk about that. We're probably not doing well anyway. And to bring it back up, it's just painful, right? And so... uh us guys, we're kind of bred to be John Wayne or Chuck Norris or somebody else. Just we're tough. We'll get over it. Don't need help. If I drop my shield, I'm going to look weak and I don't want to look weak in front of my wife. So I don't want to talk, but you got to do it. And I'll tell you why. It helps her feel connected to you. Last week, we mentioned that a wife tends to get her self-esteem from her husband. That comes from Genesis chapter 3, where there's a spanking, but also a blessing, where the Lord says to Eve, your desire, your heart will be for your husband. That's a protective thing. There needs to be an anchor in the home. The wife is made to be the anchor, the strength of the home. And she needs to have her heart for the home and her heart for the husband and her heart for the kids because if she doesn't have it, the home collapses. And if you shut her out and you don't talk about your struggles and your fears and your weaknesses and stuff, she feels like she's not a part because you closed the door, you didn't invite her in. And so to simply say to your wife, like I try to do with my wife, 
you know, she would say things like I'd come home from long meetings at church and she, I'd get home at 10 o'clock and she said, tell me what happened. I was going, I didn't, I said it went really good. Cause I didn't enjoy being there for the first part of any of it. And she wants me to bring all that stuff back up. I didn't enjoy at 10 o'clock. But to say to her with work, and money and all kind of things saying honey let me tell you what i'm feeling to to invite your wife and say i need you to pray with me because i'm struggling i've got this relationship with a with with my supervisor and it's just not working would you pray with me that means the world to her because you invited her in She feels connected. She feels like she's your partner. And you're not doing this solo and you're not leaving her outside. So here's the only way I know to do it. Set aside time every week to talk. Just do it. No TV. TV ruins it. Cut your cell phone off or leave it somewhere because you'll be looking. We, we spend too much time at home at Facebook and email and on these stupid cell phones when our spouse needs us. It is the key. Everyone say key. It is the key to showing your wife that you love her. And I, I have a theory on this. For a husband to give his wife an hour of undivided attention is probably equal to 10 counseling sessions with a professional counselor. Because that's just what she needs, her husband, not a stranger. It's healing. There's security in that. So, well, how do you do it? Sit on the porch. Well, I don't have a porch. Wait till your neighbor goes to sleep and get on their porch. <laughs> Surprise them in the morning. No smoking on their porch, please. Uh, go out for breakfast. When we were in Cincinnati and our boys were young, when I was pastoring there, uh, we would go to Waffle House every Monday and we had no money, no money. We could get a waffle for a dollar, a coffee or hot chocolate for a dollar. So all four of us could sit. That was so healing to my wife that I carved out the time to sit this way and talk about the family, talk about our lives. Another one is go for a ride. We love doing that, getting in the car, driving, and then we talk. It's easier for me as a man not to be distracted and then to walk together. Walks are good. I don't know what works for you. Uh, here's another perfect example. I think this would work for any godly wife. Watch a Green Bay Packers game together. I just have a feeling 
That would work and that would be perfect. Uh, men and women think differently. Have you, have you noticed that? A man tends, not always, a man tends to think logically in the sense he has like a big hopper in his head and all the information gets dumped in the hopper and it goes down to a funnel and the end of the funnel is about this big. It comes out as one sentence. This is what I should do. A wife has four hoppers. She has a logical one. She has a strong emotional one. Things in her body affected. That's a third one. But she has a link to the Lord that us men don't have. Women tend to hear the voice of the Lord a lot faster than husbands do. But they all come down. And my wife would think with those four and then they would all blend together. And I was completely lost about what she was talking about. Because we were talking about really small things like the weather. And then it went to the boys. Then it went to the sinking of the Titanic. And I would just get so confused because I, I couldn't tell when there was a stain on the carpet. And when there was something like I was about to wreck the whole world. And it would just go back and forth. Now, gentlemen... What we're talking about today and talking and listening to our wife, this is not about perfection. Get that out of your mind. It's hard for us to do that because we don't want to look bad in front of our wives. You ladies are so much more verbal than we are and we don't want to get embarrassed. So we don't even try. It's not about perfection. I'm encouraging you just to try. Just try. Just try. Because just trying will help her feel more connected, more bonded, and more secure than anything you can do for your partner. Gentlemen, write this down in the margins. Well, I don't know how to do it. Let me simplify it. I could be better at it myself. What do I do? Ask questions, one. Two, listen. Just ask questions. Tell me how you're feeling. How does this strike you? What do you think we should do? Ask questions and listen. The second thing, Jesus said Christ loved the church. Or Jesus, Paul said Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. No greater love has a man that he give his life for his friend. If you can do that for your friend, do that for your partner. He who saves his life loses it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This does not mean I'm going to offer up my life for my wife one time. I'm going to jump in front of a bus for her. Well, that's good, but that's not what we're talking about. I love this picture. It means for a husband to live redemptively with his wife. To live sacrificially every day 
for his wife. I love this picture too. This is giving your life up for your wife. You want to train sons to have a good marriage? This is how you do it. We do it. Point number three. We want to sanctify her. Everyone say sanctify her. What does the word sanctify mean? It's very simple. We don't even use it in church much. We should. It means to set apart. Everyone say set apart. Set apart means things are special. Things are different. It means some people are set apart for us. It means that some things are set apart for us. His book is set apart for us. Do you agree with me? His book is different than every other book. The church is people, not a building. But this is his house. His house is set apart. If God has given you a family, your family is set apart. Your family, you may love other people's families, but you have one wife. You have one husband. The two kids the Lord has given you, if he's given you kids, they are set apart. They belong to you. Another word for set apart, for sanctification, it implies holiness. And holiness is, is both an experience, but also a journey. It means to be made stable. It means to be made solid. Growing up on a farm, we, we would uh, set fence posts. And a fence post is put in the ground. If it's not done solidly, it's a waste of time. So our relationship with our wives, they should be more stable, more strong. They should be healthier in every way this year than they were last year. And I want you to see this whole passage is not about you wagging your finger, not about you preaching to your wife, not about you making demands. It's by example. It's not about confrontation. If you would do this, I wouldn't be so angry. Jesus said, I've given you an example. So, brothers, I want to ask you some questions. You say, well, my marriage is not doing so good, or we don't love each other like we used to, or there's a lot of frustration and tension in my home. Well, let's just start with us guys. Question is, are you reading the scriptures yourself? Another question. Do you have a consistent personal prayer life yourself? If you do not, brother, you are part of the problem. You're not the solution. Because you're not hanging out with the creator. Are you faithful in corporate worship or do you come whenever you want to? Or you feel comfortable? You're not tired. Are you in a small group? Why are you asking us this, Steve? Because these things, for all of us, but especially for men, it creates strength. And you have to make time to do that. Are you serving some way? 
See, this is far different than just coming to church. Are you free from hidden sins? Are you trapped? And you're racked with guilt and shame, so you don't want to out yourself, so you just kind of pull back. Here's the principle. Are you ready? The better you do, the better she's going to do. So this is, none of this is about her. All of it's about you first. You get your act together. You follow Christ. You live a disciplined life and it will bleed over and impact her because you will be the man that she wants to respect. Number four is cleanse her. Everyone say cleanse her. What do you mean cleanse her? Well, it's not rub-a-dub-dub. My wife is in a Bible tub and I'm running Genesis over the top of her forehead. Some men feel like I need to preach to her and just get the scriptures in her, make her obey the scriptures. No, 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 no. It's about, again, you and your heart being clean before the Lord. And if your heart is clean before the Lord, It will reflect to her heart. It will touch her heart. It will inspire her heart. Kind of the other side of true love is lust. Lust is about selfishness. And every person in this room struggles with it in huge numbers of ways. But lust causes a man to pull away from his wife. Because there's shame and there's guilt and there's embarrassment. And when a man pulls away from his wife, a wall goes up. He's not comfortable. He doesn't want her to see who he is and how he's struggling. And so he just distanced himself. And I want to say, brothers or sisters, you got some of these struggles yourself. It's common. Get some help. There's people here that will help you. You could be free of this and never have to go back to it. And here's something else lust does. It seems to me like they go down the same tracks, parallel tracks. Lust creates anger in a man. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? What will they do? They will see God. So don't trade that which is cheap and miss out what God wants to do. Now, the best washing any of us can ever have is not Tide or Clorox. The best washing is through the Holy Scriptures. So here's how this works, guys. If you feed yourself in the Scriptures consistently, You get full consistently. You start your day. I read the scriptures, then I go to pray. Your heart will become full, and the overflow of the presence of God in your heart and your soul will cause your wife to want the same thing.
Psalm says, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. We need this washing every day because our culture is so dark. Now, brethren, if you want to grow in your faith and you have to make a decision, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to be stronger by Christmas time than I was today. If you want to grow in your faith, there are a multitude of discipleship options that will be launched in the coming couple of weeks. You are as strong as your investment. Number five. Present her. Everyone say present her in all her glory. You see, the scripture alludes to the fact that the husband is the priest of the home. You mean the boss, the guy with the shiny robes? No, the one that lays his life down. The one that's the mediator, the intercessor, the first one into the battle, the first one to say, I'm sorry, the first one to lead by example. Because as priests to our households, we are responsible to the Lord for the care of our family. If our wife is not doing good, if our kids are not doing good, the wife may hear it first, but gentlemen, he's going to come to your doorstep and say, what are you going to do about this? In this world, we all have spots, wrinkles, and blemishes. Don't we? Don't look at your neighbor, please. We all have spots, wrinkles, and blemishes. Every year, I go to a dermatologist and pay 75 bucks, and this wonderful doctor examines me and makes sure that I'm in good shape. And sometimes I'll say to her, uh, by the way, I've got these brown spots or these little things on my face from the sun. Can you cut off or burn off all the ugly? And one time she said to me, well, actually, you don't have enough money. And I don't have enough time. Well, the good thing is all these things will be gone one day. And Jesus will have a spotless church, a church without blemish. And we wait for, we look forward to that day. Someone say, amen. I look forward to that day. But here's the deal. Here's where we step in as husbands. Us men, we have to realize by our own example, we can inspire our wife to grow increasingly like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus... And your wife knows you love her. She will be inspired to the same thing. That's just the way it works. Now, I want you to write in the margin of your outline this word sanctification. And I want you to put down sanctification is a journey. Yeah, you can have an experience with the Holy Spirit where you get cleaned up big time, but really it's a journey over a lifetime. Well, as you hang out with the Lord, you become more, a little more loving, a little more patient, 
a little more kind, a little more wise. It is a journey. So this 40-year, 50-year, 60-year marriage is a journey of sanctification. I want to work hard to lift my wife so she becomes all Jesus wants her to be. And if she does the same for me, that's a great marriage. And I want to say again, guys, this is not preaching to your wife or lecturing them. It's by example. You lead the way. Six, love her as a man loves himself, as a man loves his own body. Now question, do men love themselves or do men love their bodies? Ladies, just watch your husband pass him a mirror sometime. Just watch him. He may be 84 and he'll still go, still got it, still got it, still got it. A man naturally loves himself. I used to have muscles like this, but I left them in a coat and I don't remember where I laid my coat because they're no longer around. But men love themselves. Christian men, pagan men, lost men, arrogant men, they think about themselves first. That's just what they do. Someone say, amen. It's not right, but it's just the way it is in the fall. But let me say this. So he loves himself, but he does not naturally love his wife. Sorry to burst your bubble. What do you mean he doesn't love his wife? Remember who we are. What do you mean? We are hunters. We are gatherers. We are trophy seekers. And when we get the degree, we go on to something else. We get the bass boat, then we go to a motorcycle. We join the gym, then we do a garden. It's always something else. It's always something else. And we, then we start investing in the stock market. And then we start collecting coins. And then it's collecting stamps. And then refinishing furniture and then building this big woodworking shop in our wife's living room. She loves it. <laughs> so what a typical man does, not all of them, 99.7%, they pursue that beautiful young girl until he catches her. He calls her. He talks for hours. You see, dating people in the car used to be, they were like side by side. You see them, that old farmer in his truck, there's 30 feet between them now. Until he catches her. Now you see what this gentleman is doing? Can I tell you what he's doing? He is deer hunting. Because <laughs> once you catch the deer... After six weeks, you put the trophy on the shelf. And then it's back to work. And it's back to working out. It's back to hot rods and building cars and a thousand other things. He turns his focus to his career. He turns his focus to taking martial arts. He turns his focus to all kind of hobbies 
Well, I just bought a new gun last night, dear. Well, great. How much was it? $12,000. Was that a different gun than you bought the week before? Well, I just need to keep the gun guys in business. I love this picture here. I love this picture. This man has a gift for training deer to hold steady for photos. Now, why is this? Because a man largely gets his self-esteem from outside the home, from his career, from his accomplishments. That goes back to the same passage that is a curse, but also a protective blessing. Because the Lord said to the first man, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn your living and make your bread until the day you return to the earth. Now, again, is that bad or good? Could be bad, could be good. Well, how is it good? Because the anchor of the home is the wife, because that's in her heart. But the man is told he's got to go out and provide for the family. And this is instilled in him. The Holy Spirit has to adjust it. Now, here's how the Holy Spirit adjusts it. The Holy Spirit speaks speaks to a wise husband. Everyone say wise husband. A wise husband of the Lord says this. Here's a priority. You focus on me first the rest of your life. Focus on me, Steve. George, focus on me. Chase me. Pursue me before you chase anything else. Then pursue your wife. Not your kids, not your career, not your golf game, not ESPN, me and your wife second. So the husband who's thinking outside the home, the Lord has to direct his head and his heart back to his home and the one that manages it, his wife. Seven, Jesus does two things, does a lot of things, but the two things listed here, same thing us guys have to do. One is to nourish her. Everyone say nourish her. What do you mean nourish? Well, the husband has got to put on different glasses. He's thinking about nourishing himself and he's got to go, I've got to stop that. I have to nourish my partner first. Everyone say first. Forget me. Forget my needs. Forget my wants. I take care of the needs of my wife first. That's how the head and the heart of the husband turns around from his career to loving his wife. And he asked the Holy Spirit, Lord, in this season, my wife has shared the hurts and concerns and fears she's got. What does she need to thrive? How do you want me to pray? How can I come alongside and help her? Because I want my wife to be healthy, body, soul, and spirit. That's my job. I'm the priest of my family. That's what you're asking me to do. 
Now, this is very, very important. Some of you guys watching online today, wherever you are, I want you, all you men, to write this in the margin because this will help you. If you can figure this out, that if the wife thrives, you're going to thrive. But if she doesn't thrive, it's not good for either one of you. Number eight, second thing. You got to cherish her. Remember the painting I showed you earlier? You don't ever abuse what's valuable. You don't demean your wife. You do not, I hope in your house, you guys do not raise your voices toward each other. We've done it a few times, but that just, if you have to raise your voice, nothing good is happening. Do not raise your voice. Do not be disrespectful to your wife. Do not demean her. Do not cut her down to size because you will have no wife. She, next to the Holy Spirit, next to Jesus, is your most valuable asset. I love this proverb. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. If your wife is beside you or across the room, would you look at her and say, you my good thing. Go ahead, just tell her, you my good thing. Go ahead, buy her a t-shirt. On the back side, it says, and I obtained favor from the Lord. Woo, you my good thing. Proverbs 31 says, a good wife, her value is greater than all the jewels in the world. I married a good thing. And I got to treat her that way. So husbands, be tender to your wife. Be tender to your wife. Be kind. Be considerate. Be thoughtful to your wife. And never, ever, 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 can I say it again? Never, never, never be rough with her just because you weigh 260 and she weighs 130 you got no right to treat her rough don't let the big old bear come out of the cave because it ain't pretty and probably sometime in the next week jesus will probably knock you out cold somewhere in a walmart park parking lot because you were a horse's blessing horses something Nine, then you got to leave. What do you mean you got to leave? What do you mean leave? Jesus said, a man must leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife. Notice there's a shift. Our culture doesn't get this. It seems like we often raise irresponsible kids that have never had to work never had to go through difficulty, and they've never left their home, our home. Yeah, we love them. Yeah, we can still counsel them. We can help them a little bit, but there's a shift where your heart goes from the home of your parents because it was safe, and your parents did everything for you. There's got to be a shift 
for a new identity for your new home. You can't have two homes. You can only have one home. And yeah, man, I love my kids and I love being with them. But I want them to depend on Jesus and depend on each other. I'll counsel them. I'll help them some. But they can't keep running to daddy all their life or running to mama all their life. They're 55 years of age and you're still bailing your kids out. So let them leave. Parents, let them leave. How about this picture? Emotionally. They got to be attached. I want my son to be attached to her. They got to leave physically. They can't live in my basement. And spiritually, they have to figure it out. I can't figure it out for them. If I do that, they've never owned it. They got to wrestle with God. They got to struggle. And they got to make, they got to hear God's voice for themselves. Now this is not in your notes, but you can't build your new home and stay living in your old home. You cannot be two places at the same time. And husbands, your heart needs to be with your wife. Number 10, worship team, would you guys come out, please? And then Jesus said, Genesis, Matthew, Luke, repeated here, and Ephesians, two become one. This union is intimate, the most intimate. It is permanent. It is unbreakable. Friends, let me say this. If you have sexual relationships in high school, you're really damaging yourself. If you have sexual relationships in college, you are really hurting yourself. And I know we've all made mistakes. If you have relationships outside of your spouse, here's what happens. Every time a person has a sexual experience, it's glue designed to bond your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And it's like pouring a pound of super glue in your hands and holding like this. You know, sometimes a one-night stand could be 12 hours or 3 hours or 30 minutes, and you keep trying to do this and you just tear the flesh of your skin now the lord can heal you i would just say just don't go there it's the same way with people that have attractions to the same sex it's the same deal you have that bond and all of a sudden you think you're that when the the scripture says honey you're not that i made you this way you've been lied to you've been seduced by a spirit. The two become one flesh, one team, one purpose, one focus. The focus is we're going to live for Jesus. We'll never do it perfectly. We're going to get up the next day, 
and do all we can to honor the Lord because we want this bond to be deeper this year than we were last year. I want to have a closer friendship with my spouse this year than I did last year because the bond has grown deeper. Now, fellas, I just want to say, you may say, Steve, I am so overwhelmed with all this. I want to tell you, you can do it. If you just take one, just one thing we talked about, just one thing and say this fall, I'm going to do it. And I'll make you a promise. If you just work on one thing, it will pay such dividends for you and for her and for the kids because you did it right. Now, I've written some applications at the bottom to make it simple. Well, what are they? Gentlemen, I didn't do it for 20 years, but I've done it for the last 22. Pray with your wife every day. It doesn't have to be long. It can be 30 seconds or 60 seconds. This morning, when I left at 7 o'clock, I put my arms around my wife, and we prayed for you. We prayed for each other. We prayed for our kids. And we invited the Lord in to what he wanted to do. That'll mean more to her. And guys, you have to initiate it. She shouldn't initiate it. You have to say, honey, let's pray. And put your arm around her. And just call out to the Lord. And number two, tell your wife every day that you love her. Don't let a day go by. And you need to initiate it. You need to say it. And men, tell your kids every day that you love them and you're proud of them. Every single day because there's prophetic blessing when this comes out of your mouth. Number three, just serve her every day. You may serve 20 people all week, but serve her every day. There's stuff that she needs, stuff she wants. I keep a list for my wife, and it is a long list. Cheesy. But I love serving her. And last, if this is the only thing you do, if this is the only thing you do, you have such great fruit. Instead of treating your spouse worse than anybody else, treat your spouse better than anybody in the world. And God will honor that. Now I want to pray. The altars are going to be open. And and I believe the Lord has spoken today. So whatever he said, I want you to respond. Come to the altar. Right where you are, you can invite the Lord to tell you what that one step is. But let's pray right now. Lord, thank you that your word is true and your word works. Release faith, Lord, especially among us men, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now you tell us what to do, one thing, all of us, one thing, and we'll start. Lord, for anyone watching or anyone in the room that's not given their heart to Christ, right where they sit, would you invite Jesus into your life? Pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Wash me clean. 
dwell in the middle of my life. Make me your child and give me a home in heaven because today I commit to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Now this last song, as we worship, the altar is open. There's people available to pray with you. Tell him yes. Would you all stand as we worship to this last song? This is called Christ Be Magnified. And we want Christ to be magnified in our lives and in our families. Amen. Were creation suddenly articulate? With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south And east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole earth echoing His imminence his name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to the mountain tops. We'd sing, Christ, be magnified. Oh, Christ, be magnified. Be my- 
magnified, Lord, in our marriages. Father, that's our prayer. Christ be magnified in our lives. I pray that you would give us the supernatural ability to love each other as you have loved us. Give us eyes to see people only through your eyes. And for all the men, I pray that we would see our wives as you see them and love them as you love them. help us lay down our lives for them and serve them as you serve them and imitate you in all that we do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider them better than ourselves, becoming nothing before them except Christ crucified. Thank you for a clear vision of your love today. I pray for all of us that we would receive and give that love away so generously that we wouldn't just be grace recipients, we would be grace dispensers where your love and your grace flows out of us freely. Enough so that it would change our families, change our communities, even change this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you. Joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in and hope to see you next week.